You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Hello and welcome back into The Airing Cupboard. I hope that you've all had a very good two weeks. It amazes me that we have already hit December. And here in England, it really feels like it. The weather is grey, the light is often soft and diffuse, often mist in the mornings. Last weekend I saw a lot of Christmas trees on top of cars. And um, as it seems, and I've read it in the news, we are also fed up with the confinement and more news about COVID and lockdown and tier systems that we are now getting ready for Christmas far earlier this year. Perhaps we all need to bring a bit of excitement into our homes and look forward to something joyous. So this week's story came to me about 18 months ago. So it was given to me over a drink at a pub in the sunshine on a Friday night evening in July, I think, when I first started the airing cupboard. And I'm going to call her Annie. Of course, it's not a real name. At the time, I didn't take any notes. I felt that it would have embarrassed her and also it would have made me look like a professional, which, which I'm not. So I just typed a few bits and pieces on my phone later on that evening. And now that I am thirsty for more details, and that I have contacted her again, she said, Add your colours, Zoe. Tell my story as you remember it. Sieved through your own filters. Pressure, Annie, pressure. So I know that she is still a regular listener of the Erin Cupboard, so I hope that she will be okay about my colours and that she will forgive me if some of the details of her story aren't quite exact, and some even born out of my own imagination for the sake of storytelling. Annie grew up in a nice suburb of London. She was the third child out of five, a boisterous family. Her father worked long hours in the city and her mother was at home looking after the children. The family was quite self-sufficient there weren't that many friends passing through the house. The seven of them and the dog were very much a closed little unit. They were lucky to have a nice garden in which the children were sent to play for long hours during the weekends afternoons while her parents were having a little siesta, as they used to say. The walls of the house were covered with black and white photographs of the children that her father used to take on his old camera and then developed in his um, dark room under the roofs in the attic. Annie said that even now, her childhood friends still mentioned to her how harmonious her family life had seemed to them. And yes, she did have what she recalls as an idyllic childhood. School was within walking distance and every morning her mother would walk her and her siblings to the school gates. It was quite a large school, easy to feel a little lost. 
and she must have had friends there during the first three years of primary school, but strangely, she doesn't really remember them. She has very little recollection of those first years at school. She just remembers the feeling of unease and maybe misfit, of not belonging. For her, her school years started at the beginning of year four. She had just turned eight. And that is when she met Tom. It was the very first day of school after yet another beautiful summer spent with her brothers and sisters in the wonders of their garden. Her little brother was starting in reception and he had cried a lot and he had to be pulled away from the arms of her mother by the teacher. And that had unsettled her a little. She didn't really know why, but it had made her sad as if her little brother's distress had run on her, like the colours of clothes do in a hot wash. Her school tie felt tight around her throat, especially when she swallowed. The bell had rung and she was standing in with the other children, lining up beautifully in front of a new teacher. He looked a little scary, towering over them in his bronze suit and his big beard. His voice came straight from his chest, resonating deep like a sound drum. Her feet were uncomfortable in her new lace-up shoes. She hadn't broken them in as the shop assistant had told her to do. But really, who wants to wear school shoes during the holidays? It only brings the dread of having to start school life again with each step taken. She felt small in a hand-me-down uniform. As she had tried it on at the end of the summer, her mother had told her, or mostly to herself, that it would do, that she would grow into it in a flash. And that is when she noticed him. He was standing right in front of her in the line. From the back, she wasn't sure if it was a girl wearing trousers or a boy. And it was because of his hair. Blonde. Gold, she thought. Like the barley fields she had seen while visiting her grandparents in East Anglia. And straight. Like a mop falling quite long on his head and on his neck, all cut as if guided by the clean lines of a pudding ball. And as she was looking, mesmerised, he turned back and looked at her. And the front of his head was just like a mop too. His blonde hair fell flat around his face with a long curved fringe and hidden in there his eyes. Huge, blue, open, like a big inviting sea, and bordered by very dark eyelashes, top and bottom. And he smiled at her, pulling a face and imitating the bearded teacher, and she quietly giggled, her shoulders shaking in her oversized blazer. That was Tom. 
They found themselves sitting next to each other in the classroom. And the friendship was born. As simple as that. Tom had only just arrived in London, having lived in the Middle East. He knew no one. He had no friends. But now, he had her. They became inseparable. During school breaks, they spent all the time sitting on the little brick wall, slightly back in the huge playground, chatting and laughing in their own little world, while others were running madly around them. And Tom became a regular visitor at Annie's house. He was almost part of the furnitures. He liked it there, with all the brothers and the sisters and the dog. And months passed, and years, and Tom's hair grew darker and shorter, many different trying hairstyles, but his eyes, his eyes never changed. The blue had now more nuances, but they were still huge and lined by the darkest of eyelashes, top and bottom. And school was good. By the time Annie turned 12, she was spending a lot of time at Tom's house. A lot of time. Was it because he had a television and there was none in Annie's house? Or was it because her older two siblings had left for boarding school and the feel of the house was different? Or was it because her father was absent a lot? And when he was there, he had grown sad and somber, smoking more, often withdrawing into his dark room or his office. Was it because her mother seemed tired, often sitting at the kitchen table, her eyes vacantly surveying the garden, not present? Something had shifted, changed. Something was up and she just couldn't voice what it was. But one thing Annie remembers about that time is that long gone were the afternoon siestas that her parents used to have during the weekends. And so when one night during the Easter holidays, as the entire family was together, her parents told her and the brothers and sisters that they needed to speak to them she should have known that something was about to end. Even the dog knew as he laid unusually quiet and still under the table, flatter than the floor. That night, her father left the family home, forever. There had been someone else in his life. Annie had gone to bed, broken. And maybe she could have heard her father sob in the hallway, in her mum's arms, one very last time. She could have heard it if only her old iron bed didn't make so much rattle as her body shook uncontrollably. No tears. That night, she went to bed. She was twelve. She woke up an adult. And there was much to do. Her younger siblings seemed fine, and soon the older two had rejoined their boarding school, 
trailing the dark cloud of these sorrows behind them. But her mother, her mother disappeared into the darkest of places. How did Annie stay afloat during those few months? Well, there was Tom. He had said very little, as she had explained all to him, sitting side by side on his bed. But when she had laid her head on his shoulder, he had put his arm awkwardly around her, and he had held her there, a little too tight, strangling her neck a little, and that felt good. But as always in life, Change brings more change. And so it was for Annie and for Tom. And it all happened rather fast. Firstly, finishing school and being 13 meant Annie was going to go away to boarding school, following her sister's footsteps. And then Tom's father's contract came to an end in London and he got posted in West Africa. The family was going to follow at the end of the summer. As Annie and Tom sat on the floor of his empty house at the end of that summer, it was as if there was nothing much more to say, both a little empty, like the rooms around them. They must have promised to write to each other, not to forget each other, to remain firm friends. But the premises of adolescence had pointed its nose between them and had somehow smudged that ease and comfort between them. Strangely, Annie does not even remember the moment they had said goodbye to one another. All a blur. They wrote to each other a little to start with, but then came the divorce and Annie's family home got sold. They moved out of London to be closer to their grandparents in East Anglia. Did she send Tom her forwarding address? She has no idea, but she never heard from him anymore. Ever. And now we must fast forward 25 years. Annie is now married. It's a typical story. She met her husband at uni, they fell in love, got married, they settled down in East Anglia, close to her mother's, who now herself is remarried. Um, Both Annie and her husband working in London, commuting. Two children came, so Annie stopped work to look after them. Really a very happy family life. And on the walls of their home, there were many photographs speaking of love. Friendship, family, harmony. And then Annie's husband lost his job. As it proved difficult for him to find something else in his field of expertise, and he desperately needed the income, Annie decided to go back to work. And soon she found herself progressing in her career. But her husband still couldn't find any work. And as time ebbed away, so seemed his drive and probably his self-esteem. She would come back from work and would sometimes find him lying on the sofa, 
in the same old t-shirt he had slept in the night before, reading the papers or watching television. She would find ads for jobs for him online, and even facilitated once or twice some job interviews. But more she tried to help, more he seemed to grow resentful of her. A crack had appeared in their relationship. And slowly, surreptitiously, it started chipping at what she felt for him and at how she felt herself in front of him. She felt tired, a little lonely, a little manly. Her shoulders broadened. She started putting on weight, getting bigger as if her size would provide her with strength, protection, a little like an armor. And one dark morning, she found herself sitting at the kitchen table, her eyes vacantly surveying the garden, absent. And she caught her own reflection in the glass of the window. And there, in the mirror image, she saw her mother staring at her. It brought her back to those days, years ago, when her childhood house had grown quiet and sad, and when her mother sat at the table, slouched and absent. And that brought her back to Tom. Her friend Tom. Where was he in the world? He had been such a lifeline and support at that time of her life. Discreetly present, discreetly strong. And now as an adult she remembered his discretion as a sign of his trust in her and her ability to manage and pull through, to come through enriched and stronger. And it is around that time that she went down to London to celebrate one of her friends' birthday. They had booked some rooms in Soho and they were going to go out to dinner and then have a few drinks and even go clubbing if the mood was right. And the mood was right. What fun they all had. So around midnight, tottering on the high heels that they were not too used to be wearing anymore, they entered a packed nightclub and made their way through the sea of people towards one of the bars holding on to each other's clothes and handbags as to not lose each other, squeezing against other bodies. And suddenly Annie realized that she was on her own. She had lost them. Which bar did they go to? Left? Right? And as she stood there looking, her eyes stopped on her face. A man, bold, he smiled at her. And at that very moment, the nightclub lighting swept past them and illuminated his face. And then she saw it. His eyes, they were huge, blue, like an inviting sea, bordered with the darkest eyelashes, top and bottom. Could it be? Impossible. But those eyes reminded her of Tom's. She stared at him and he smiled now a little uncomfortably 
and possibly only because she had recently thought about him, but mostly because she had had one mojitos too many, she did dare to ask him if his name was Tom. And his face grew a little serious and asked her if they knew each other. And over the loud music, she simply shouted her name. And at that moment, two huge blue eyes grew even huger. And in the middle of all the madness of a Saturday night in a sore nightclub, two old friends reacquainted themselves to each other, awkwardly first and soon embraced into a big, massive hug. A month later, on a bench along the stone wall bordering the River Thames in London, in the evening sunshine, a bold man and a woman, a little round, are sitting side by side, chatting, laughing, in their own little world, while all around them, others are busying themselves. Et voilà, I hope that you've liked Annie's story. I can say that Annie and Tom are still friends now, 10 years later, although they don't see each other enough because Tom now lives in Singapore. I have been thinking about the serendipity of this meeting in the nightclub so many years later. And the amazing thing isn't so much that they bumped into each other. I mean, that's amazing, but... What's really extraordinary is that she recognized him. I mean, recognized his eyes. And I've asked her, was it true recognition or was it an unexplainable intuition? She isn't sure. So I will leave you to think about it. I wish you all a very good two weeks and until we meet again in the airing cupboard. Goodbye.